Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you today. Debbie Potts is an author, speaker, coach, and host of the Low Carb Athlete Podcast. She teaches her clients how to burn fat for fuel, optimize health, and improve athletic performance. Her podcast is a massively helpful resource with over 400 episodes and an incredible list of guests, including a few that have appeared here on Boundless Body Radio. In 2016, she wrote the book, Life is Not a Race, It's a Journey, where she teaches the reader about her holistic method. As a competitive endurance athlete, she has had top results in races all over the world. As a coach, she's been named as the top 100 trainers in America and has more qualifications and certifications than we can list, unless we want the entire podcast to be her intro. <laughs> Debbie Potts, it is an absolute honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Why? Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm so excited. It's an absolute pleasure. It's an honor. Um, we connected through um, an app for podcasters, which was super cool. And I am not sure if you're aware of a link that you and I have. In 2007, yeah. I was trained to use New Leaf metabolic, metabolic analyzers to analyze people's metabolisms. Oh, in 2012, hi. we had a certain <gasps> Bob Sibahar yes. come on and do a call that where he basically explained his metabolic efficiency training, how he used it with his clients and athletes, and how they were getting off of carbohydrates and performing at the highest levels. And my brain exploded. <laughs> yeah. And a few months ago, we got to host Bob Sibahar, and I told him with a bit of emotion in my in my voice, like how grateful I was for him and his work and everything that he taught me about endurance sport and how to train people correctly and get them on the right diet. And it sounds like you have that same common, um, educational thread. You know, I do. And it, I always, I was going to say it breaks my heart when I couldn't use newly for anymore. That was what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I was like, that was my, I love testing. We were to getting information that today, you know, people would love. And back yep. then no one really understood all about fat burning, metabolic flexibility, metabolic efficiency. That's right. And I was doing it since 2005. So it was so devastating when the lifetime fitness, so I'll never go there because I'm going <laughs> to resent them because they bought new leaf. So none of us could use our testing kits anymore. Yep, it was so that's sad. Right. That's right. That's exactly what happened. That's so funny. Wow. You have such an interesting story and very detailed and it goes back quite a bit. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, which is great. Can you tell us a little bit about your competitive history, how you got into sports, how you got into training and, um, you know, how that shaped your training today? Wow. Uh, so I started getting into, well, I was always in fitness since college. I ran the fitness resident hall, did wellness challenges and all that. So I've always been in the industry of health and fitness. And then I started racing endurance triathlons in, I don't even know what year I was like late twenties. So it was an episode. Oh my gosh. So that was, <laughs> I'm turning 50 this year somehow. Oh, so it's been many years. <laughs> I, I did like dancing and triathlon and I started cycling like, gosh, you know, I really like this. I did this three day bike ride around San Juan islands. I've been living in Seattle till last year and I just fell in love with cycling and doing endurance events. It was just my happy place. And it was so much fun to me. And then I just started dabbling in different races and then started training with people that were, I was doing cycling with them and they all did Ironman Canada every year. And so I like, well, 
you know, I already was cycling and doing marathons. I might as well start swimming. And then I did my first Ironman in 2001. So, wow. wow. If you love cycling so much, how did you, why did you break out and do other sports? That's like two whole other sports. Like I'm a <laughs> cyclist. I would never yeah. start my bike rides with a swim and end them with a run. <laughs> Well, I know it is crazy. And I was running. So I guess I was running first, like little races, but then it was cycling that I really enjoyed doing the long distance stuff and started doing Seattle to Portland bike ride every year and ride around Mount Rainier, more of the fun stuff. I'm not uh, a good cyclist to do crit racing or anything like that scares me. (laughs) So I'm good, you know, keep three bike lengths apart kind of cyclist (laughs) (laughs) and not be caught in these like pace lines and everything. So yeah, it just it just was my happy place, being outside, being with people, and just doing these longer distance events. Mm, wow, that's great. So I think pretty much everybody associates endurance sports with greater fitness, and so we think that <laughs> you know some of the the healthiest people in the world are endurance sports. If you raced, you know, Ironman or you run a marathon, like you are very healthy. Is that true or not? <laughs> well, that could be a whole topic itself. <laughs> we can go down a rabbit hole, but I'll just basically, you know, Maffetone really started this. Are you fit and healthy and how most athletes are unhealthy? And I was just finishing reading this book, The Immunity Fix by Dr. James D. something, really long last name. Nicola Antonio. But just, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I love that book. And I just brought it into my office because there's so many pages I tab down on exercise and chronic stress. And that's just kind of what I've been doing the last few years. But just, you know, exercise in itself, people think is the way to get healthy, the way to lose weight. And it actually <laughs> doesn't. To You know, you only need an hour exercise or less. And more than that, you're lowering your immune system. He's saying in this book, Immunity Fix. So it really makes sense just all the stuff that happened to me we'll get to over the years. But just how many people you look at their body shape, even when you're in gym, I always tell people this, go to the gym. When people are on the elliptical, the treadmills, the bicycles, then look over the other side of the room where people are lifting weights, doing heavy lifting and doing intervals. And there's a definite difference in body composition. Wow. And you look at people at an Ironman or a marathon, do you see people slim and trim? And I used to train people for half marathons during their first race for years and people would gain weight, not wow. lose weight because what do they do after they run. Oh, I can eat whatever I want. So I don't think it makes you necessarily healthy, perhaps fit and you look it on the outside, but it's what I do now as a coach is get people healthy from the inside out. Mm, I love that. That's so funny. I used to tell people that exact same thing. If you do what I do <laughs> in the gym every single day, I see the same people and then on one yes. side of the floor, they don't ever really seem to change. And on the other side of the floor, they seem to change. That's so interesting that you say that. I'm so glad you noticed that too. Um, yeah. so when did that start to break down for you? Well, I did races, you know, there's a lot of other stuff, but just, I did Ironmans, compete Ironman in Hawaii each year. So you have to qualify for that. So not every year, but you know, I, I was doing that and then I was doing marathons and started doing trail running. And in 2012, it was my end of my busy athletic career. Pretty much since then, I've been able to be healthy, broke myself down so much that it's just too hard in my body to run like that. And so 2013 is pretty much when my life changed and everything has been different since then for the good and also the bad, but yes, you have a different perspective nowadays of what is being healthy. Mm. So if you could go back, you know, 15 years and talk to you back then, what are some of the things you would recommend? 
You know, it's funny. I was just trying to write about that. It's just what I know now. I wish I knew then kind of thing. And I think a lot of it is just the mentality that I was talking about in my blogs and my podcasts that more is not better. And, you know, we tend to be that type A, triple A personality that we are driven, we're competitive, we're ambitious, and we want to succeed in life. And that could be athlete or non-athlete, but just high-performing individuals. So we always kind of push the edge and do more. And if we don't do enough, we don't feel successful. We feel like a failure. So I think that mentality, I wish I could have turned that around and and not think, oh, you know, I just did Ironman. I'm in shape. I might as well, you know, do a marathon. It's fun. I can, it's a piece of cake. It wasn't challenging to me because I just got off an Ironman and then I go oh, trail running season. Oh, well, 50 K race. It's not a big deal. I'm used to going all day. You know, so I was just always doing races, but the biggest thing I learned top of that was running my own business at the same time and coaching clients and teaching classes. And I was just doing too much. So it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not. It's just what my book's about. Life is not a race. It is a journey that we tend to be the ambitious individual that we try to do too much in the day. And if we don't fill every gap, we feel pathetic, and yeah. <laughs> lazy. So I think it's a mindset. Mm, I yeah. wish I could change. Interesting. We talk often about, um, you know, like a bank account that has the deposits that you make and the withdrawals that you take. And I think it's really easy for most of us to sit at home and see the Gatorade commercials and all these athletes that are training and pushing themselves really hard, but we don't realize, you know, how much they are actually resting and recovering the number of calories they're eating. I mean, they are, they're putting in a lot of deposits into their bank account so that they can take those withdrawals when needed. And, and I think you're right. I, I don't think we appreciate stress enough. And this is something that you talk about quite a bit. Can you explain the difference between an acute stress and a chronic stress or, or basically like when, when is stress really helpful versus when can it be a problem for us? Well, that's another good you know reason to read that book. I was just finishing that immunity fix. Cause it talks so much about acute stressors. And we hear a lot about that on podcasts, intermittent fasting, cold thermogenesis, you know, infrared saunas and exercise and doing short doses and then recover, repair. It's like run from that line and then you rest, recover, repair, run from that line and rest and repair. We're supposed to have those little breaks, pause, reset, reboot, recalibrate, go again. But what we have been programmed to do, I think in our society to be successful is to go nonstop and have that constant ongoing nonstop movement that overdrive mode that we don't ever stop. So we're kind of running from that lion from the time we get up in the morning until we go to bed at nighttime. We're just always on. We don't shift back and forth in between that sympathetic fight or fight, freeze to parasympathetic rest, digest, recover, repair. Mm. So it's that chronic versus acute is good if we have that little dose. Yeah. But anything too much, as I said in it years ago, I said anything too much is not healthy. It's often toxic. Anything too little can cause deficiencies. So we have to find our own individual Goldilocks effect, as I say, so, you know, not too much. What's the right amount, the right dose of stress that gives you that positive response, a positive benefit? Mm. I did want to talk to you about the Goldilocks effect. I think that's a really interesting way to think about this. But what signs or symptoms might somebody notice when they when they are pushing too hard and need more recovery in their life? Well, first comes to mind is sleep. 
Because that's easy one, right? How many times do you go to bed and you can't fall asleep? You're just kind of tired but wired. Or in the middle of the night, you you have you fall asleep easily and then you wake up, you're like, oh, okay, it's time to get up. Oh, it's only two in the morning. <laughs> I'm supposed to be sleeping. So that's the obvious signs that your body's telling you that you're in overdrive. You need to stop and reset and reassess your daily schedule, what you're doing and your why. And I found this, you know, obvious to t- is doing lab testing on people to really show them what's happening with your lifestyle, with your exercise schedule, with your just work stress or whatever your external stresses are, how it'll accumulate and overfill that beaker of stress by looking at lab testing as a Dutch hormone panel and really see that circadian rhythm, cortisol, melatonin, for example, if you know you can't fall asleep, well, we can see, look at your cortisol is up at night and it's supposed to be down and your melatonin is too low. So it's really getting the lab testing to identify those clues that something's going on. Mm. That's really interesting. And I'm, I'm also glad you made that point. I hear a lot of people say something like, well, cortisol is bad or melatonin Mm -hmm. is bad or insulin is bad. And it's like, no, these things do need to cycle. Cortisol should be high in the morning if you want to be awake and alert. But it, like you said, it shouldn't be up at night. If it's up at night, you're going to be too alert to be able to fall asleep. Those hormones need to cycle properly to have your day work out the way that you want it to. Is that correct? For sure. That's great. Yeah. It's like cholesterol. It's not bad. (laughs) It's a precursor to your other sex hormones, steroid hormones. So it's just, you know, then nothing's bad. It's just the right amount of everything is what we need to find the optimal amount to create homeostasis, create balance, get our body systems to be working together. And, you know, if one thing's off, everything's off. So it's just this downhill spiral or it's waterfall cascading down that we have this internal breakdown and burnout when we do something too frequently. So that's why I feel the need to speak about this because if you have that one night bad sleep and you don't do anything about it, and then suddenly it's a week long, well, you need to address that. But most people, I think we ignore that and think, oh, you know, it's just a bad day or it's just, I'm getting older. This is my new normal. I just, I don't sleep. That's how I am. Hmm. We have excuses for everything. Yeah, sure. It, but it is hard though. I, I notice this, maybe this isn't fair, but I, I do tend to notice this more with women than with men. The A-type female that wants to train really hard and compete in endurance sport, I seem to run into this a little bit more with them than anybody else. Is that something that you've seen as well? Well, yeah. And I've done a great podcast just with Dr. Mindy Pelez. You watch her YouTube videos and her channel. She's got great information on, on women versus men and hormones and premenopausal women. And we have hormones at cycle. And so it's tons of information there, but also Dr. Stacy Sims, who wrote the book, women are not small men. She has a great points in there too. So there's more and more research coming out that saying, you know, women shouldn't be training and, and doing everything exactly the same as a man. A lot of the research is just based on men. So we have to realize that we're all individuals and especially women versus men, we're different. And if you pre-menopausal, post-menopausal, things are going to be a little different too. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I think Stacey Sims does such a tremendous job in her book, kind of outlining that and how the cycle works. We'll, we'll tell people, you know, for most guys, like it's, it's a little easier because it's just a 24 hour day, but for women in that 28 day cycle, it can be a lot trickier. What are some things that women should look out for, especially if they're trying to train at the highest levels? What do they need to know about their hormones in their phases of their cycle? Well, 
this is a what I was talking with Dr. Mindy about. She has a great new book coming out, good research on this. That's really interesting how you can even change, you know, what days of the month that you do fasting. If you want to do a one to three day fast, there's certain days of the month you should fast, but also women to do training. If you want to do harder workouts, the first part of your cycle, you're more like your hormones are more like a male. So you can, even if you're, you're on your cycle, but your hormones are similar. So it's okay to do a little bit more intensity and a little more, you know, your strength training, your hit training. And it, before that, when your hormones are high, before your cycle starts, you, I find it funny because you don't feel energetic anyway. So your body tells you that, okay, I'm not going to do a really hard, intense workout right now, but it just shows with you look at hormones matching your hormone cycle to your training and nutrition cycle. It's really interesting. It's like more, you know, walk, run and, and don't do hard workout. Maybe don't go as long, go for a walk, go for an easy bike ride. Cause you can keep your heart rate down lower than a run and just changing your workout schedule each month is kind of the new thing, what we're looking at doing and even have an app that there's for women know this, there's people trying to get pregnant. There's menstrual apps, but if you could, I was talking to Dr. Mindy about if we could have it like a training peaks and have our cycle connected. So now we can totally program how you should eat your higher carb days can be these days of the month and your lower carb days when you're more, you know, have to be carb sensitive during right before your cycle starts. So you can really get, detailed about it, but it'd be cool to have a, a new tracking system. So maybe someday we'll have a, a training peaks with, for women That's <laughs> so funny. cycle schedule on there. Cause then you can really get individualized. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's so funny. I was just in training peaks, um, searching out a plan for one of my female clients. And if we were thinking the same thing, we, we have to be very strategic in how we time this and make sure that it fits with their cycles, because that will absolutely affect her workouts. hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. You know, on that note, you can add in on the notes pages and you could even put like how you write, write for vacation on there. Say like these days are, you know, our high hormone days. So we're going to do lower intensity work. And these are our normal hormone days, beginning with cycles. So we're going to, you know, change it up a little bit, but you know, mm. it's so interesting to really learn about that. It's it crazy. really is. Wow. Well, okay. So you've already mentioned, especially for women, the nutrition cycling side of things. And for every guest that we ask this question, it's, it's one of the, the, like one of the main questions we get asked all the time. I ask a ton of my guests, I get a different answer every time. How, <laughs> how should women be eating when they're training this in this way for endurance sport? Well, we've been talking a lot about this in my podcast as well. And I try to work with people on the email questions that a lot of the research out there, as I said before, is based on men and a lot of the keto low carb success stories that we read on social media are not based on endurance athletes or even athletes. They're people that are just, you know, exercising maybe just three days a week or something. But for those that are exercising every day, and especially if you're doing more endurance workouts, you're doing more uh, two-day workouts, your carb tolerance is going to be different. So I'm not, I'm, you know, it's hard because I'm supposed to tell people some macros and it's more of like a starting point, but I like testing with keto mojo, test your glucose, ketones if needed, and really see where they are based on the training cycle, cycle and also doing it like a five, two plan that during the week we can go lower weekends, we can add a little more carbohydrates and cycle them in and out and having real food. Not that doesn't mean, you know, any carb, but good quality carbs. So I think it's 
something like that we don't hear about as much on social media because those are people doing, you know, the 20 grams a day of carbs, I think is too low for a lot of us. And you can always have to experiment that your individual, and I've learned a lot from lab testing that really can tell a lot in um, my microbiome lab test if my my gut bacteria is low and I was eating too low of carbs. So fasting too long, eating too low carbs, you might notice it might backfire sometimes. So you have to adjust and listen to your body. Mm. Now, okay, so that's pretty much the answer we've gotten every time that it depends. But Debbie, we invited you on here so that you could tell us exactly what to recommend for people to eat. We do want the macro tracker. Can you just tell us exactly what everybody should be eating? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's one size fits all approach. (laughs) No, it's not. And people always want to know that answer. And it's funny, you know, I work now for Bank Greenfield doing coaching for them and we do write their training plan out and nutrition plan. But I need to know, here's kind of a template to start with you but how does your body feel? And as a nutritional therapist, and I do checklistic health, we learn this as well. And FDN practitioners looking at metabolic typing and look at a diet check record. When you eat, do you feel energized or do you feel tired? Does it make you feel bloated and gassy and start paying attention to the food you eat, how it reacts on your body. Ideally, you eat a meal that has the right ratio of carbs, protein, fat to make you feel full satisfied for hours and get your body to be burning fat for your main fuel and not being a carb burner and get off that blood sugar roller coaster. So yeah, starting people, if they are coming off a high carb standard American diet, I'll have them go low carb for a month and have them switch over. But then we can, maybe their carbs, low carbs, maybe they can do hundred grams a day and not be as low. Sure. But sure. I'm also talking a background of someone that dieted too much. So for females, and males too. I know that we're so psychotic about counting calories. I don't like that because I grew up high school, college, dieting all the time. So I want to teach people, this isn't a diet. This is a way of life. This is a new eating style that's sustainable. So if you put it in my head that I have to count calories and grams and run everything down, it's going to screw with my head because I've been there, done that. And I want to eat just what my body feels like. Listen to your body. Do I need more protein? Do I feel full? Do I feel tired? How did, how was my workout? And go that direction rather than counting everything and being compulsive, which might work for some people. And that's good for a couple of weeks, but then figure it out by listening to your body. Yeah, totally. We totally agree. And I'm so glad that you used the word satiety because I think <laughs> so many people confuse that with fullness, right? Like if I, mm-hmm. if I have a salad, you know, with, a lot of vegetables and maybe like chicken breasts, like I will definitely get full. I I will feel full and I'll stop eating, but that doesn't mean in two hours, I'm not going to be ripping through my kitchen looking for any food I could possibly find versus satiety. Like you said, which is like, you're just not, you're not hungry. You're not interested in food. You've already eaten and you can go and do stuff and have a good life. It's so different. Yeah. And I find that for my body, I do better with more protein. If I, for years was always, you know, this, healthy eater that just ate salads. And, you know, that's not healthy that I was always hungry and wasn't getting enough nutrition. So it's just not thinking, okay, I'm going to, people think dieting means eating bowls of salad and having lettuce and celery slices for a meal. And that would be a diet, but we're not teaching people diet. We're teaching them how to burn fat 
and a new way of eating for life. Yeah, that's right. Different. The, a perfect example. If we go back to those metabolic analyzers, the person that mm -hmm. you're describing is probably going to be cold. They're going to be hungry. And if I hook them up to a metabolic analyzer, I'm going to bet, I'll bet my career that this person is going to have a lowered resting metabolic rate, meaning that their metabolism is, is running lower than it should be for somebody that's in their same demographic, their same age, height, weight, and gender. And that's what happens when you start to reduce your calories too much and you go on a diet, you can lose weight, but you'll also reduce your metabolic rate. And what you've been talking about, which I love is, is teaching the body to burn fat. And I think that's mm -hmm. such an important distinction. So I'm glad you made it. Well, I think I learned that before I knew what I actually was doing with the new leaf testing, because think back when, you know, we got the machine where I was working Bellevue, Washington in 2005, and we were testing people to resting metabolism. And we were learning about the black box and your heart rate. And I worked with Sally Edwards on heart rate training Wow, way back then when it first started. So we didn't put this information together until later on. And then Bob Sibuhor met him like, oh my God, I totally get it. That's what I've been doing, but not knowing and understanding since 2005. Because I would test people in the morning or do the metabolic test after work. When they drove in their car, sat in traffic, they burned no fat. They were completely stressed out and their RQ values were just shot. But if I had them when like on a Saturday, they got some rest, they were happier it was night and day. So I didn't realize that till later on years after that, oh my gosh, chronic stress impacts your ability to burn wow. fat. Totally. Totally. Fascinating. That's, that's so cool that you were able to learn that so much, so much earlier than I was too. That's so great. I'm jealous. <laughs> um, uh, well, the, you know, just think what we could do with that now with all the information we have and biohacking, if we could, you know, track their heart rate variability and track, their workouts and have that metabolic testing every couple months and train by their menstrual cycle for women. I mean, there's so much you can do if we could get access to that easily. Mm, that's right. I was going to ask you this a little bit later on, but maybe now's a good time to talk about it. What are some of your favorite devices that you use with people today? Well, I usually go to Ironman Hawaii each October and then I find, you know, some networking and, you know, all the conferences, I always learn some new things, but since last year was a, a race <laughs> year, yeah, right. I I like you know the aura ring. I actually I'm just wearing a pro, the measuring ring today because I've always wanted one, and we're finally going to order them. We're just measuring the sizes, but just never want to wear anything, and especially to bed having a wrist, you know, something on my wrist while I'm sleeping. But it's such a great information to get my sleep tracking information and getting my heart rate variability testing because I stopped testing my HRV over the years because it was kind of inconvenient when you want to do it in the morning first thing, but you have to get out of bed, get the heart rate strap on, get your phone. And, you know, I keep that in a different room. Then you have to get back into bed and lay there and relax. <laughs> so yeah, right. it doesn't work too well. And it doesn't, if it's not easy it's, and I'm not going to do it regularly. So I found that the aura ring or some type of tracking helps in, you know, I just like doing stuff on and off. I think anything too much, I just don't stick with if I try to do it every day. So that, and I really like Keto Mojo. I like their educational information that they have. And Dorian's always updating things there and they have great info testing your ketones as well as your glucose. So that's always great. 
And Heads Up Health is a new platform that we can use for coaching that I'll do with VIP clients with Ben Greenfield Coaching that we can sync all this data together. So Keto Mojo or Rings, we can put that all in there, really track our clients, how their performance is each day and, and help them improve that aging process. Mm, wow. Those are all great devices. I've used a bunch of those before. And I, I agree with mm -hmm. you with, with HRV. I found that HRV was the most helpful when I was in the deepest part of a, of a training cycle, when I was really like burying myself. I think I was speed skating at the time. And I found it to mm -hmm. be helpful, but you're right. It wasn't super convenient. And to mine the data took a little bit of time. It wasn't something I would do day to day, but to just have it, especially in a training cycle, I felt like was really helpful. I'm, I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I definitely would like it because I can tell my sleep wise when it's not great. And I was like, gosh, wait, I wish I had that ring just to kind of just see what's going on. But I find, you know, people get all these gadgets and, and biohacking things that they, are you doing something with it and using that information to make changes in your schedule or your training program and your nutrition and your sleep? It's like, why bother getting all this stuff if you're not going to listen to what it's telling you? Because I've had clients that are competitive Spartan races, racers, athletes, and CrossFitters that, you know, they're doing high intensity training every day and their readiness score is bad, but they would still do what the workout schedule said. So as long as you're going to get it and then work with your coach or adjust your workouts based on that information, then you're going to get more recovery, repair, and your performance will improve, but you actually have to have to listen to that. And that's what I probably didn't do for years. Mm. So rather <laughs> than, yeah, right. So rather than collecting a ton of data that you don't know what to do with, just find a few key markers that will give you a good idea of what direction you're heading and just stick with that. So it's not, it doesn't become an extra stress with all this like tracking and, you know, things that require a lot of time and stress and things like that. Yeah. So if your training schedule says I need to do a run with, you know, tempo pieces of this much distance and, or, you know, going to bike and do these different pieces at what power watts. And, but if your HRV that day is in the tank and your sleep was horrible, why are you going to try to do that? Because it's going to be a crap workout anyways. <laughs> so yeah, right. usually it's like, okay, that was not waste. That was a waste of time, not worth your time. So mm. I think you get good information and know that, okay, if I schedule that to reschedule it two days later, then I'll have a better outcome, better result. more results. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you work primarily in the low carbohydrate space. How did you, how did you first find low carb and when did you first find it? And, and how did that change for you personally, um, your training and your results? My personally, I think I was experiencing that well, way back, probably about metabolic efficiency testing and heart rate training, 2005, I started getting into that. And I wrote that in my book, Life is on a Race, kind of went back in time to figure out, you know, where all these things that I did over the years and what happened, kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together for my own life. Why did I have my adrenal exhaustion, breakdown, burnout, my body systems? And I look back and I was doing low carb and doing fasted workouts. And I was I'm like, when did I even start doing low carb? And I think it was around 2005 before we really knew that much. And then when I met Bob Sibohor, I think it was 2009, I took a USA triathlon coaching conference, um, three-day weekend training, and he spoke. And everyone else was talking about sugar, you know, taking the goose every hour and fueling and and he spoke, I'm like, okay, you're talking my language. I totally get that, that, you know, don't have a gel. You could just get up and go work out. And 
then I started just starting to do more fasted workouts and paying attention to what I was eating and, you know, trying you can and different fuel sources. But I, for years was trying to figure out my fueling plan as a, a cyclist and a triathlete and tried doing stuff with, you know, going back to what I know now, I wish I knew that I would just like, instead of having anything to eat, I taught spin class and I went to go for a long bike ride and I thought, oh, I just won't eat anything. I have lots of fat to use for fuel. But my typical fuel plan back then was what? Orange juice, a bagel, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or healthy yes. breakfast, banana. And I, I think that was probably, I don't know, before that was maybe 2000, but I used to, you know, do the healthy breakfast that we thought was healthy. And then I tried going to switching and I bonked and had to nap on the side of the road. And someone gave me a cliff bar and I, all that. 50, 60 grams of carbs in a cliff bar brought me back to life. (laughs) I rode all the way back, but so it took me a long time to figure out and experimenting how to become fasted. Then when I met Bob at that USAT coaching conference, he made a lot of sense to me. And then I I think I got into it more then and started applying it to my own training myself and athletes. And then we started the podcast Someone reached out to me to be a guest host. Then we started a podcast. It was called Fit Fat Fast. John Smith was doing this garden variety show, being a vegan athlete. And he realized, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> so he, he was trying to eat more fat. Then we switched the podcast. He ended that. And we started uh, Fit Fat Fast. And then I switched to Low Carb Athlete over the years because he left it mm. to me. But we were talking mm. about all this stuff 10 years ago. And so now, you know, fast forward 2021, how many people are talking about keto and endurance world for low carb athletes that we never really talked about it before then, you know, the word cable, the labeling it, I think, you know, we were doing eating more fat, doing fasted workouts, but we didn't ever know it was keto. Right, right. And then, so like, you know, people are learning this now and you're standing there going like, Hey, I've been, I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing about this? Wow. That's so cool. Um, I think it's interesting. So, so on one of the graphs, we talk about this a little bit on the show, but on one of the graphs we would show people, we would show them the, the body's ability to store your two different fuel sources. So we're talking about carbohydrates and we're talking about fat and, when, when somebody would come in and do a metabolic assessment, we would show them that your body can store this amount of calories of <laughs> carbohydrates inside the body. And that would be about 1500 to 2000, depending on your gender, Yeah. just assuming your muscle mass, because you can't store sugar in very many places. And muscle is one of basically like two that you can store it. But then it would also show based on your weight and body fat percentage, how many calories of fat that person would store. And that could be tens or hundreds of thousands of calories. And I remember one specific day, a a female came up to me and she said, I'm doing these mountain biking classes. They're really hard. And we start riding and I'm out of breath. And in 45 minutes, I have to stop while they just drop me. And I showed her the graph and showed her that you're burning through this fuel that you can't store very much of while you're dragging all of this other fuel that your body can't even use. It's just, it's there. And if you taught your body to use it, you wouldn't need the other fuel. That's why we developed all these strategies of the Cytomaxes and the Gatorades and the goos and all these potential show sponsors I've now just lost. Um, like all of these crazy products to stay topped off on sugar. But, but what you're talking about is teaching the body how to burn the fat that we store and be what you call metabolically flexible. Is that correct? 
Yeah, and just like what you're talking about is that in the book, Volk and Finney wrote, low, somewhere on my bookshelf here, low-carb training for, you know, meta, training metabolic efficiency. And that's a chart, you know, the gas tank they show. And, and we go over that. And that's why I love metabolic testing. So you can really show people what is your body doing while you're running or while you're biking or at rest. And to give him that information, that's why I always love doing what I do now, adding in functional lab testing with people to really show them, here's what you're doing to your gut. Here's what your microbiome looks like. Here's what your hormone looks like. Here's your leaky gut profile. And same thing with metabolic efficiency testing. Show people, all right, here's where you're burning fat to like 120 heart rate. And then you just switch over to carbs for fuel. So it's just really, the testing is amazing, but most people, we can't get that access to it. So I think you can tell a lot if you're burning fat or not by how long do you have energy? Can you wake up and just have some coffee and water and electrolytes and go for a bike ride or a run? Or do you need to eat and then go work out two hours later? Mm, I think you can just tell, right? I mean, I, we go for a bike ride. Depends if you go a little later, we had a little something to eat, but if in the mornings we just wake up and go work out and it's, if you can't do that, then it's probably an indicator that you are carb dependent versus fat adapted athlete. Right. And I think so many people, I mean, earlier you mentioned standard American diet. I think so many people are so used to that diet. They don't even know what it feels like. They're just hungry all the time and need meals and snacks all the time. Their sugar cravings are through the roof. So they don't, I don't even think they know what that feels like to just, I you know, you don't even consider nutrition. If you're burning fat, you can just go and do whatever. And at some point in the day, you might think like, Oh, I'm hungry. I guess I should probably eat at some point. I'm always amazed that, you know, we've been talking about this for 10, 15 years and I still see people when I go work out now, we moved to North Diego and then I go coastline and run or when we go for a bike ride, what do you see people doing? (laughs) They have their Gatorade bottles on their bike. You can tell that it's not water and they have their gel in their pockets and all this stuff you know, packed up, like, you don't need that. And you're just causing yourself GI distress. And you read research about how endurance athletes are creating leaky gut. So you're just causing more internal damage to your gut and inflammation in your body by eating that high sugar diet and with exercising over an hour. So we're just not doing ourselves a lot of good. Maybe just mentally we feel good, but internally we're creating a a big disaster. Tell us about writing your book. You write about the holistic method. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was and what that is, excuse me, and why you decided to write a book? You know, I don't know how I did it. You just, it's like doing an Ironman. You just get into it and you just go through it. And then I look back, I'm like, how did I ever do that? And then I, I wrote the holistic method manual after I wrote life is not a race. And now I was thinking the past year when COVID started, Oh, I'll update that book and change or not change it, but add some new information that it's out. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how I ever got in that mindset. It's a lot of work because <laughs> I find my book, it was more therapy for me. I mean, my story is all in there, but just briefly, I went from top of my age group in 2012, doing all these races, setting best times and triathlons and running races. And I'd always be usually second over first because my swim was never fast enough. <laughs> so I had these great races and then I, you know, was felt strong and fit. And then I gained 30 pounds by March, 
Yeah. What year? Wait, 2013. I just felt horrible and, you know, I was depressed because you can't do anything and you don't like as an athlete to feel fat and just you feel like you're look like a couch potato. And I was just eating a bag of Oreos and chips every day. It's like, no, you know, I went from being this fit athlete to looking like I was a couch potato. And I just wanted to tell everyone I was doing right nutrition. I was exercising and I still am, but this has nothing to do with what I ate or maybe not eating enough, you know, it wasn't eating crap. So I felt this need to write a book to go understand what happened to me and share it with other people. Cause I just know so many athletes just push themselves to that same edge. And some people, you look at your genetics, some people we can tolerate stress better than others. And then me, obviously I, I can't as well. And so I would have more breakdown in my body systems than other people probably, but it was just an accumulation. Then your immune system's down, then you're more susceptible to parasites and infections and, you know, food sensitivities and hormones are just all plummeted down. And so there's all these things that happen. And so I just felt like the need to go through my own story to share that with people to know that doesn't mean if you're an athlete of any level, you could fill in the blank. I did Ironmans. Well, you could say, okay, I was a single mother working full-time with three little kids, or, you know, I was a dad with trying to fit in the workouts and train in a high level cycling. And you have, family to worry about or finances. I had a small business I was operating while I was doing all of this. And it had a huge rent that I had to pay every month. And it was stressful trying to do it all. So I just felt the need to write that, to share it, but answer your question, the holistic method came from that as well as years of my education about exercise isn't the only way to be healthy. And so I started learning from Ben Greenfield and from other Paul Chak and other programs I was in that like, okay, personal training, coaching people, exercising isn't the only way to get healthy. There's so much more to it. So I just started to create the holistic method to train or transform the whole you from the inside out to improve your ability to burn fat, to improve your performance, your longevity, and really looking at being healthy from the inside out, being fit and healthy. So many of us are fit, but we're not healthy. So that just kind of came up over the years. I don't know, before my fatigue stuff started. So it kind of was timing that I was learning all this. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is, <laughs> I'm learning also about adrenal exhaustion as I'm experiencing it myself and heart rate variability and all this information. So it's just kind of a real life example <laughs> of what happens. Sure. Sure. And I love the title of the book. I mean, this seems to be a theme that keeps coming up on this show. And something I notice with my endurance athletes, if I'm training somebody is if, if, if they get too fixated on the end goal, let's say you're training for a marathon, take a better part of a year or whatever to train for that marathon, that marathon is here and gone before you know it. And people can get really mm -hmm. bummed out when they're, when they're looking for the end result with, without realizing that all the good stuff happened in the training. Like it was the days that you woke up early and pushed yourself and, you know, ate well and recovered and had great conversations with people who are suffering alongside you. Like that's where the good stuff is. And so I, I really love the title of the book. Life is not a race. It's a journey. I'm sure that's something you've learned mm -hmm. through doing a lot of endurance sport. You know, and so much of this, I didn't really realize until last year with COVID, I think it gave us a lot of learning lessons and realized how much we were not slowing down and 
how I adjusted my life schedule, I thought over the years, but until we were forced to be stuck at home and now working at home, it's just, all right, this slower pace of life might be a little too slow right now, but how we can, you know, take advantage of it and, and make us find alternative ways to get healthy and be happy. As well. Yeah, we love that. We absolutely love that. We say the same thing about 2020. It wasn't ideal, obviously, and a lot of suffering has happened, but it also did force people to slow down. And I mean, you and I would not be having this conversation today if that wouldn't have happened. So it, I think mm-hmm. there is always an opportunity in something terrible that happens where you can find a way to, you know, grow from that. What other things, and that's something I was going to ask you is what other things changed for you in 2020? Like, how did your coaching change? Well, I think I'm thankful every day that I closed my fitness studio that was already struggling financially. I had $8,000 a month rent and I started it 10 years ago. And luckily I closed it October 1st, 2019. So I, I can't even imagine what fitness studio owners dealt with last year. If you're already kind of struggling because all these other fitness studios popped up over the last 10 years and it was just too hard to run a, your own little boutique fitness studio or any small business owner. It's just a lot of stress. And that's where my stress came from every day is trying to succeed as a, a one-man show with trainers. But that was something that started 2020 off. I was changing my career to be more online health coaching and health and fitness. I, I became an FDN health practitioner in 2019 and 2015, I did the nutritional therapy practitioner. So for years prior to 2020, I was already educating myself to become more of a health practitioner to combine that with my years of personal training and coaching athletes. And so combining the health and the fitness together and doing kind of a health detective program as FDN, because we run the lab testing and then create a program based for you on based on all these clues that we pick up and put the missing pieces of the puzzle together. So last year kind of was my start of that in January. And then I was personal training still and coaching people on the side, but that all changed in March last year. And and then my husband got a new job in April. He was ironically already looking for a job before COVID and he got a new job based on New Zealand out of New Zealand. So like, Hey, we're both finally free. I wasn't tied to, running a fitness studio in, in Bellevue and personal training. Cause that kind of all quit and I knew nothing was going to quickly come back with COVID. And so um, we moved to North San Diego so we can bike in the wintertime, oh, so <laughs> have the weather. So we always came down here for long weekends. And so now we're here full time. So wow. that's kind of the big change. We call it the quality of life change, even though the, the taxes are higher here, but the quality of life is what we're looking for. That's great. Well, congratulations. I'm watching the snow fly outside my window right now. So I'm extra, <laughs> extra jealous. So it sounds like by, you know, fall of 2019, you knew the pandemic was coming. Why didn't you tell any of us? <laughs> you know, I already was in a pandemic of, of running my studio. So I was having my own version of breakdown that last year. And so it, I, I was glad that I was already seeing the future of me training people, health coaching and, and doing, you know, training peaks and training athletes anywhere in the world. Cause that's kind of what's great thing of podcasting. It led us to have connection with people around the world. And it doesn't matter if you live in Bellevue, Washington, that you have to see me in person, but now it's virtual. And I think that was a, another blessing that COVID gave us that everyone can do zoom or, you know, video conference calls and it's kind of the new normal. So that's kind of a good thing as well as hopefully everyone 
well, I've been trying for the past year to explain what getting healthy means. And I still think it's a challenge because the media wins over us on the podcast side of the world about talking about improving your immune system, getting your sleep and eating real food and all that stuff, which I call the holistic method. Sure. What things are you really like most excited for, um, for 2021? Well, I am just trying to practice what I preach. I, as November 5th is my birthday, and I was hoping we could have a big party here. <laughs> and I want to go to Disneyland, but I just, I keep seeing this writing that I just want to be the best health that I have been in my life and make my second half of my life even healthier and happier. And it's been a good, you know, last 10 years before that, I've been fun and racing. I love and triathlon world and cycling events and marathons. And now it's like, okay, I want to, you know, look the best that I can feel my best and be my best each day. So I think working on all that this year, hopefully, you know, we can travel again soon as we are going to go to Spain and love to travel. And I was supposed to do Ironman Canada in, in August, which I wasn't, Maybe not doing because it's not actually good for my body. I still think, <laughs> but I'm, I'm turning fifty. I should celebrate it somehow. But great. going to Spain sounds better. So it might be next year. I don't know. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Describe. You've already talked a little bit about this, but if somebody wanted to work with you and get coaching from you, can you describe what that process is like and what they can expect? Yeah, it's. I love it. It's it's really kind of combining everything I've done for the last twenty five years is kind of health rebuilding coaching, being health, teaching people how to be fit and healthy. So I use what's FDN practitioner stands for functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and nutritional therapy practitioner. But we start with getting lab testing for people. So say we order a food sensitivity lab, a, a stool test, check their microbiome, any pathogens, parasite, bacteria, overgrowth, fungal infections, and like organic acids test and um, a Dutch hormone test. So like four tests and then get all that information, get their intake forms. I do nutritional therapy assessment and look at their lifestyle and their goals and their symptoms. And I put all that together once we get the lab results and really look at the whole picture and then put the pieces of the puzzle together. What is off balance? What do we need to rebuild repair, restore, and make them optimal, bring them back to balance, make them feel their best self. So it's really fun because it's amazing, which is why I think everyone should do lab testing and not just treat the labs. Cause that's kind of my other story is everyone for years, I tried to get help, but no one was helping me because they're just treating lab results, not treating the person and the lab results and correlating all this data together and investigating everything instead of, you know, give me one supplement because this is low and that's low and, and didn't really get anywhere with that mm. approach. So what we do is kind of as FDM practitioners is really looking at what we call the dress for health success protocol, work on their diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and supplements based on our findings. And so it's really fun. And I think positive for people when I find like I have someone's lab test to work on today that they have huge amounts of toxicity in their body. And it's like, if no one, no one ever did these labs on them and they've been feeling like crap for years and why we just settle thinking this is my new normal. This is how I am rather than, all right, let's investigate, figure out what's actually going on. So 
We've got mold toxicity, candida overgrowth. We've got dysbiosis, leaky gut, liver congestion. So we work on just treating all that together. So it's kind of fun in a way because I can help people feel better and get results and teach them how, give them the the tools that they need to get back to their optimal self. Sure. It just seems so individualized. It seems like it's not a cookie cutter program. You're looking at so many different markers and data and, you know, the blood work and, and giving people a plan exactly for them and meeting them where they are and what they're ready to do. So I I really love Mm -hmm. that. I think that's an amazing approach. If somebody, if somebody wanted to generally improve their health and they were, you know, on the escalator or whatever, and you pass them and you just have a second to tell them, you know, a few things about health, what would you leave them with? What would be one thing that most people could implement into their lives and see benefit? One thing. One thing. I know. <laughs> I think that's hard, but it's a toss up. I would say intermittent fasting would be one to start with like a not eating 12 hours and build up to 16 hours because then you, you know, that's a big thing, but I'm also torn between sleep is so essential to everything else, making good choices, but then also moving more throughout the day. But intermittent fasting, I think is where it start people just let's cut down how often you're eating because so many people, they're so trained to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, 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 and they're just eating or grazing all day long, especially being at home more. So mm. let's work on what you're eating, why when and how, but let's start with just time restricted eating. Cause there's a lot of research showing, you know, even if I, I don't even change what you eat, but if we put it in a narrower window, we can get some results. Yeah. And then let's start working on making better choices there and go backwards. Mm. I think that's great advice. I think fasting is such a great tool that can be used. And I agree. I think you can have a lot more flexibility in your diet when you eat that way. I have heard you talk a lot today and also in your show about the quality, the importance of quality of sleep. And I don't, I don't know if you even take your own advice. It doesn't sound like you do much sleeping at all. You are a very busy person. You're putting out a lot of amazing, (laughs) (laughs) you put out so much content. You put it out freely on the podcast. You have amazing guests. It's, it's highly informational. It's easy to digest. We really appreciate you and your work and everything that you bring to the table. Where should somebody go if they want to find your work and potentially work with you in the future? Well, let me just say sleep is my priority and people laugh. I go to bed like at 7 p.m. <laughs> I, that's like my number one thing is to get my sleep. I have my routine. We do yin yoga. I do reading in my book, my gratitude journal every night and I'm in bed like at eight o'clock asleep. <laughs> so we wake up at 5.30 and try not to now our new life. We don't have to wake up with alarm unless Mondays I usually have at 7.30 client. But uh, Anyway, sleep is so important. I would find myself, if I was looking for me, debbiepotts.net is my website. And Low Carb Athlete on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. We will be sure to link to all of that in the notes. That's great. Debbie Potts, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for all that you do and for sharing your time generously with us here. Um, we, We really appreciate you and your work. And thank you for coming on to Boundless Body Radio. No problem. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to have you on my show. Yeah, I can't wait. That'll be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 